Do 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 do. Down. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is our good friend Walker Hal. And today, our special guest is Alex DeGrays. <laughs> oh, this is one of the few times I wish this was a video podcast. <laughs> anyway. Understandable. <laughs> Uh, what an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, might as well, man. I don't know. I'll also... All uh, right, well. I'm glad one of our guests is excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> For the first... Anyway. All right. We're so glad to have you guys here. We're so glad that you're willing to put up with our antics. Uh, we're so glad <laughs> that you're, more importantly, uh, here to learn about God, learn, about, learn to hear about his word. Uh, of course, this is season three. Uh... Which, which we didn't really count it very well because we had season one, season two, and then special guest season, and now season three, which is season four. But regardless... Hey, we're, none of us are good at math. Yeah, that's true. We're all Bible majors. We're not math majors. Season 3.5. <laughs> there you go. I like it. But or I guess special guest season could have just been 2.5. That's true. Yeah, either way. The, the <laughs> point is, whatever number the season is, we're looking at doctrinal issues. We're looking at you know things in the scriptures that some of us, or all of us really, uh, can have a hard time understanding can have a hard time really understanding what it means uh and what it meant for the original audience and what it means for us today and so we've been looking at things that are dividing churches things that are splitting christians over doctrinal issues and today we're going to be looking at a very very important episode i might go as far as to say this is the most important episode of the season because we are talking about the nature of of salvation. We're talking about what is salvation? Why do we need salvation? What what is the purpose of salvation? And salvation, that's really the key element of everything in Christianity. Right, Walker? It, and it's the key element of everything that we that we discuss, everything that we believe in is this salvation, is this eternal home. But before we really get into this uh, in, in depth, we're going to go ahead and let Alex introduce himself. All right, well, um, as it has been said twice now before, uh, I am Alex DeGraves, <laughs> uh, currently a senior Bible major uh, at Freed, and I mean, I've only been here like a year before, but like I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's, it's been really, really fun, um, and of course still working on stuff, but eh, such, such is the life of a Christian, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and life of a college student. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I really don't know. What, I mean, I could, you know, I'm gonna plug myself. All right, go for it. Go for um, it. I do have. Uh, I have Facebook. Uh, although I also usually just use that to message people. I don't really use it for much else. Um, I guess the biggest thing I've done like anything with is TikTok. Which is scary words coming out of my mouth, but hear me out. I don't know I've told you about this, but I have just, I don't even know what to call it. He's launched his own channel on TikTok. Sure, let's go with that. Um, called Keep Thinking. Uh, I haven't like set up a set schedule yet, uh, because I'm, that's one of the many things I'm working on as a college student. But, you know, just kind of going off and doing short talks of whatever really comes to mind throughout that week. I have one planned for talking about uh, the trees of truth. 
Ooh. Oh, which I came up with that just this summer. I'm actually really excited to talk about that one. But check them out. Take yeah, talk. absolutely. <laughs> keep thinking. Let's go. Keep thinking. All right. Well, we're going to keep on thinking about nature of salvation, right? <laughs> what a transition. All right. Yes. Good job, Walker. No pressure. Hey. So uh, while Alex was talking about that and while I was keeping on thinking, um, I thought of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. And I want to read that real quick because I think it will flow well into our our transition into the first point. And it says, uh, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and wide and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You see, it seems like there's a church on every single corner, but the question becomes is how do we know which church is really teaching the right way to get to heaven? And I've been asked this question a lot about, uh, you know, how do we know that Christianity is the right way? How do we know that what I'm being taught is the right way and different things like that? So hopefully during this episode, you can sort of get a better understanding of which way is the right way because Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. You know, like I said earlier, salvation really is the key to really everything about Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but re- before we can really start talking about, you know, the nature of salvation, we have to understand what salvation is. Right. And so the definition that we've come up with is deliverance from sin and its consequences, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so basically what we're saying with that definition is that uh, we have sin. In our life, all of us have sin. Uh, John or First John chapter one verse eight says, "He who says he cl- uh, does not have sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him." Right? Romans three twenty three. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We all have sin, and because of our sin, we see in passages like Isaiah chapter fifty nine verses one and two that it creates a separation between us and God. Mm-hmm. God is God still loves us. God still wants the best for us, but we have made ourselves. Impure. We have made ourselves unclean. And because of the nature of God, he cannot really, you know, he cannot exist with something that is impure, that is unclean, right? Because that would defile him. And, and if God is somehow defiled, then there's no purpose, there's no point, there's no anything. Mm-hmm. Of course, we, we know that God is, is not tempted by evil. We see that in James chapter 1, verse 13. But anyway, the point is, Salvation is deliverance from sin. It's, it's God's way of rescuing us from the waters of sin. You know, uh, there, there's the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But guess what happens? Love lifted that person in that song. And, and when we sing it, love lifted us. God lifted us out of the waters of sin. Uh, and of course, sin is a word that we use a lot, especially within this, this context. But we also need to make sure that we understand what sin is before we really can get into depth about uh, saving us from sin. Most definitely. And we did a whole episode over sin, uh, The Real Problem. So if you want to go check that out, that's one of the earlier episodes, like one of the first ones that we did. Shameless plug there. Anyhow, sin is the conscious choice to break, to break the law of God. Um, it is um, something that we know that is wrong or that we may think is uh, wrong or right. And if you're in that predicament where you don't know which one it is, don't do it. Um, and that's just my walker's wisdom for the day. Uh, nonetheless, um, there, there's a problem with sin, but we also have a remedy. Isaiah, Isaiah just mentioned Romans chapter 8, and, or I'm, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Um, and we, we often quote that verse whenever we talk about that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And I just came from uh, congregational ministry, and the uh, and Dr. Powell, who's the professor in there, pointed out that we often quote this verse, but we fail to quote the verse right after it. And it says, um, <clears throat> and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so not only does Paul here say that, yes, we're all going to sin and fall short of the glory of God, but he also gives us hope and he tells us that our hope is in Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today because we have a hope in Jesus and Jesus offers us a way to be redeemed for our sin. So whenever we do mess up and we do uh, break the law that God has provided, he's given us a way to overcome that. Isaiah? Yeah. You, like you said, sin is a conscious choice to break the law of God. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think, I think that's a solid definition. I think that really helps us understand what it is. But it's important for us as we, you know, not only as we continue this episode, but as we go about our lives, that we remember that sin is not just when we choose to do wrong. Sin is when we choose not to do right. You know, uh, there's a verse in James that says, he who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is a sin, right? So James is saying there that if you know that you're supposed to do something, right? For example, if you know that you're supposed to... James 4.17. Thank you. I couldn't think of, think of it off the top of my head. Uh, but if you know that you're supposed to do something like attend worship or you know, help the poor or you know, show love to those you meet... If you know that you're supposed to do that, mm-hmm. and then you choose not to, that's a sin, mm-hmm. right? It's not just when you say, oh, well, I, today I'm, I'm going to do something bad. Mm-hmm. It's the attitude of, well, today I'm not going to do what I know I should. Yeah. And the hard part, especially with, <clears throat> with sin, is that many times, especially in today's culture, a lot of times sin feels good to us Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something that we're going to say all right uh i said i feel awful about it no not all the time there's gonna be times where we say i sin and yet i don't feel guilty or i even might go as far as say i feel good about this and that's a hard feeling to think about when we're talking about this because sin in essence is going directly against God and God's nature, who is good. And so we have to, when we think about sin, we have this problem in the remedy. I think we might have already touched that a little bit. But we have to think about this as a huge, massive issue. Because ultimately, if there is sin that is unforgiven then there is no hope. And that's kind of what we're talking about. How do we get from point A, sin, to point B, salvation? You know, that, that's a really good point, Alex. And I think that's a really good way of looking at this problem. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get from point A to point B? And the, the, the fact of the matter is, we can't. Yeah. Right? There's nothing that we could do for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I, I like to use the analogy of, of you know, that you're on the edge of a canyon. Right. And, and so, so you, on one hand, you've got this wide open space that's un, unable for you to cross on your own power. And then I also like to picture that behind you is a burning fire. So you've got this fire on one hand, this canyon on the other, and you're trapped. There's, no, there's nowhere for you to go. There's nothing that you can do to be saved right there because you put yourself in that situation. 
You may not have realized what was going on. You may not have, may not have understood what you were doing. But the reason that you're there is because you put yourself there, right? I just had a really random, like, visual, visualization when I said the fire behind. <laughs> My mind jumped immediately to the scene, The Lion King, <laughs> where Simba, like, put himself that's granted. Like, those are the scars I'm going to put him there, but he still went there, despite the questionable character of Scar. Right. And then, look what happened. Maybe yeah. that's where Isaiah got his illustration from. Not exactly, but <laughs> no spoilers. I like it. No spoilers. Uh, in, anyway, anyway, so the, the point is, you know, we're trapped, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing that we can do to get out of that hypothetical situation that represents our life. Mm-hmm. You've got the fire on the one hand and the canyon on the other, you're doomed. But then someone came down and laid a bridge. Oh. Someone came down and laid a bridge, laid a path for you to escape. You, oh, you were able, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And of course, uh, you know, when, when we connect this analogy to the spiritual realm, we understand that that bridge is Christ. He came and he laid himself down for us. He, he lost his life on the cross so that we could get from point A to point B. And, and, and something else that you said, Alex, uh, in the beginning of your last couple phrases, it reminded me of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we commonly refer to as the Hall of Faith or the Faith Hall of Fame, so- something of that nature. Yeah. Uh, and it really, really reminded me of verses 24 and 25. Uh, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know, you were talking about how when we sin, sometimes you know, we, it feels good, right? And, and that's the trick that Satan lays for us, right? It, it's like putting, you know, sour medicine inside a ball of chocolate, right? You see the chocolate and you're like, ooh, I want that. And then when you eat it, it tastes good in the moment, but then that medicine hits and you're like, what? Right? And, and you realize that you've been duped, you've been had. And so that, that's what Satan's doing to us. Right? He's given that, that, us that little bit of joy, that little morsel of joy when we sin. And he says, yes, good. Keep doing that. Didn't you enjoy that? Wasn't that good? What, did you have fun? But like this verse says, those pleasures are temporary. They're passing. Mm-hmm. They're not going to last forever. And so when we sin, yes, it may feel good in the moment. But in the long term, that's about the worst thing that we could have done. Mm-hmm. There's also something that, or that reminded, when you mentioned Satan especially, well, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, I'll read it off real quick. Uh, I'll, I'll go a little bit before. I'll, I'll go from, say, verse 12 into 14. You said 2 Corinthians what? Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded, just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So we can even see here that if it talks a little bit about false apostles, deceitful workers, people who make themselves out to be Christians even but and we still see that 
false, deceitful. And we even see that Satan, our enemy himself, is trying to make himself out to be that angel of light. Something good. And yet, even if he looks good on the outside, he's still absolutely rotten to the core. And that's the same way sin is. You know, I was, I was talking this summer with a couple of friends who, and I'm not going to mention their uh, denomination by name, but it's, it's a denomination that has an additional book, right? It's not just the Bible. They have something else. And the whole point of me trying to study with them was to show them the, that, you know, the additional book that they had wasn't necessarily accurate to God or to salvation. Uh, and so they, they offered me three choices of where this book could have came from. It could have come from man, it could have come from God, or it could have come from Satan. And, and they specifically mentioned the, the man who wrote that book, or at least is, is credited with uh, translating that book, so to speak. And so uh, they said, we don't think it's that guy, right? We, th- we, 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 don't, we don't think that he would have the necessary knowledge to be able to, to come up with something like this. And I said, okay, that's fair. So they said, that gives us either God or that gives us Satan. And of course, they thought it was from God. But my point to them was, you know, can't Satan feed us a half lie? Right? You know, that's what they say the best lie is. They they say the best lie is one that has a little bit of truth in it. And so when they're reading this book and it talks about all the great things that Jesus may or may not have done according to this this book, and and they're believing things that are not in the Bible, and they, they think it's from God, but you know when we when we really compare the, the this book to the, the scriptures, we can we can tell that it's inaccurate, that it's written with fallacies, and so uh, my point was, I think Satan is is like what uh, like what Alex read here. He's trying to be a false apostle. He's trying to be deceitful, right? And he's trying to to trying to trick people into thinking that they're doing what's right, and that that's one of his best tricks. Right? If he can't get you to stop following Jesus at all, if he can't get you to completely reject God at all, then he's going to spoon-feed you something that sounds good. He's going to spoon-feed you something that feels good. But it's not right. It's only half true. And when you don't have the whole truth, you're, you're missing a lot of important details. Yeah. Right? Like think, think, of it, think of it like a court case. Right? If, if we were the jury on a court case... And we only heard one side of the argument, if we only heard from the prosecutor or we only heard from the defense attorney, that would completely change how we view that case. But the trial is supposed to be fair. We're supposed to hear from both the prosecutor and the defense attorney. So the, the, the point is that, like you, like you were saying, you know, we've got to have the whole truth because Satan is going to try and trick us. Satan is going to try and feed us these false lies and he's going to try and rob us of our salvation. You know, but uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking about what salvation is and, and how important it is that you grasp that because it's this, you know, and this is, a, this is an eternal thing, right? It's not like you, you're going on vacation to heaven and then you're coming back home, right? Yeah. So heaven is supposed to be our home. Mm-hmm. Heaven is supposed to be where everyone goes and is reunited with God and, and praises him for all eternity in a land of no tears, no pain, and no sorrow. And the alternative is that, well, the, the alternative is that there has to be an alternative because of the nature of God. You know, we, we see in the scriptures 
times where God is, where it appears that God is only loving and times where it appears that God is only just. So how do we balance those two? Well, it's, it's a perfect balance, really. You know, go, go back to that, that court case, right? Even if that judge is your friend, even if that judge loves you as, a, as an individual, if you broke the law, if that judge is a fair judge, if that judge is a righteous judge, then they're going to punish you for it. They not, may not want to. They may not uh, enjoy having to punish you. But if you broke the law, then you deserve to be punished. And that's, what ha- well, that's what's happening with God. He loves us. He doesn't want us to be punished for our sins. He doesn't want us to be separated from him. That's the loving part. But he's also righteous. He's also just. And so he's saying, since you broke not only just the law of the country, but my law, right? Since it is his law, right, that we're breaking when we sin. I don't want to have to punish you, but because I'm righteous, if you break my laws, if you make a practice of excuse me, if you make a practice of lawlessness, then you have left me no choice. I have to do this. I don't want to, but I have to. Mm-hmm. So God is loving. He doesn't want to be punish us, but he's also righteous in, that, in the fact that he's going to punish us if we break his law. But... It goes back to that conscious choice. Right. Well, that's, that's very true, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that wasn't where I was going, but that's definitely true. My, my point was there's a third aspect, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we talk about love and, and righteousness a lot, but there's a third aspect, and that's mercy. Right, God loves us. He doesn't want to punish us, but he's righteous. So if we are lawless, he has to, but he's also merciful. Like we talked about earlier, we are all sinful. And so if God was to judge us just according to his law, there would be no one in heaven with him. None of us are good enough to get into heaven. But Jesus is that bridge. Right, like we talked, like we were talking about earlier, Jesus is that bridge that spans the gap from point A, sin, to point B, God. Amen, amen. And He does that through Scripture. <laughs> and um, and you know, we 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 mentioned earlier uh, John fourteen six, and we know that He is the only way to get to heaven. And the way that we're going to break this down during this episode is not going to be. And quote, I guess, chronological order, and it's not going to be in a. Uh, it's not going to flow from book to book uh, like the Bible has it. But throughout Scripture, we see that this plan is outlined in various places. And so, as we work through the text today, um, we're going to uh, we're going to skip around to a few different places, but we're also going to put it into context what Jesus is or what the Scripture is trying to teach us in these uh, passages. So um, is there anything else that we want to add on to this? Alex, did you have anything you wanted to add before we move into the first thing? Yeah, the, there's uh, one more. that uh-huh. um, The biggest thing we have to think about with salvation, or one of the big things, I, I won't say the biggest necessarily, is that salvation itself isn't necessarily just for one individual person. It's not just for, say, people who are in whatever denomination you want to put a label on. It's for everyone. This offer is one that God has made to all of us in this room, everyone listening to this, 
it's been made to everyone who isn't going to listen to this. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's been made even to the people who don't want anything to do with God, which might be the most unfortunate truth of all this. Um, but we can kind of see this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. In verse 27, it starts, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I've had uh, something going around my mind for quite a while. Um, the salvation is offered to everyone, but you've mentioned we can't do it alone. And we tend to say, oh, this person is good. This person's a good person. Two things on that. One, it doesn't matter if you're a good person, quote-unquote, by today's standards. What matters is if you do what God tells you so you can have salvation. And the second thing I've had on my mind for a while is I'm not good, but I'm trying my best to be like the only one who is. And that's all we can do, mm-hmm. right? Like, like we said earlier, we all have sin, right? Every one of us has sinned at some point in our life. It's just the reality of, of the world that we live in is that it's so full of temptation that I won't, I won't say it's impossible, but it's very, very, very close to impossible. For us to get through this life without sinning. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say it's impossible. Because if, if it was possible, then we wouldn't need Christ. Amen. So mm-hmm. I, I am going to say it's, 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 po- it's impossible for us mm-hmm. to, to go through this world without sinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you were talking about, Alex, you know, just because you're good by the world standards doesn't mean that you're good with God. Right? And I think that definitely comes into aspect with salvation. You know, we mentioned in the introduction of the episode that it seems like there's a church on every corner, right? And each one of them is saying a different thing about salvation. Each one of them is saying a different thing about eternity. Each one of them is saying a different thing about how to be with God in heaven. And so what do we do, right? How do we know what the right thing is? And of course, as you mentioned, Walker, that only comes through his word. Right, we, we keep referencing John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus says, the way. He doesn't say, I'm one of many. He doesn't say, you know, I am one of several. He doesn't say, yeah, you can, you can take this path, but there's also this alternative route. Jesus says, I am the way. There is one way to be with God in heaven, and that is through Christ. But like we were mentioning earlier, Satan, if he can't get us to deny Christ completely, he's going to feed us that little half-truth. Mm-hmm. He's going to bake us that half-lie and say, well, you know, if you, if you want Jesus so badly, here he is. And he doesn't give us the full truth of it. And he tricks us into thinking that we have it. And so there's doctrines out there that are commonly accepted, are commonly believed, that are just not backed up by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, we're, not, we're not coming from this as a place of, well, you guys are wrong and you're dirty sinners and you're going to burn in hell. That's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're, we're trying to 
you know, help those who are, are you know, uh, believing in Christ and following what he has said to be strengthened in their faith. But we're also trying to help those who, you know, maybe haven't been able to read the scriptures for themselves or, you know, have believed what someone says uh, without taking the time to check for themselves. And so we're not trying to condemn anyone because that's not our job. That's not our place. Right. We, we're not supposed to be the, the judge because God is the judge. So we're not trying to condemn anyone. What we're trying to do is we're trying to teach what the scriptures say and we're trying to do so with love. So please, if, if something that we say, uh, you know, quote unquote, steps on your toes, then, you know, we're not trying to be rude or we're not trying to condemn you. But we're trying to show you what the word of God has to say. Sometimes the truth steps on your toes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Alex, did you have something you wanted to say? No, no, I was just going to say, I kind of think this kind of leads nicely into the next point, which kind of like takes a first glance at what some of these misconceptions about salvation are. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know, Walker, if you want to introduce one of them. Yeah, so the first uh, misconception about salvation is accepting Jesus into your heart. Um, I recently bought three new Bibles because I'm a Bible addict and so I... Wait, three? Yes. Uh, well, I got a New American Standard and ESV and I'm trying to get like one of every translation. So, um, and so I found me a new uh, preaching Bible. Small one. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, nonetheless, um, I was looking through the back of the book and looking at all the different resources it has and one, mm-hmm. of, the, one of the resources that it has in the back of the book, it was outlining um, this uh, thing about how to be saved and so I was just reading over it and one of the things that they really emphasized in that little page that they had in the book was uh, all you have to do is say this prayer and accept Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved and that has been the that, that's, that's like the easy way out um, in my opinion um, but you know that, that, that at least conquers one step in the process I will say that if you if you if you accept Jesus into your heart, you at least believe that He is your Savior. You know that He is the one who uh, it, who who's supposed to govern your life. So you've gotten one thing out of the way. Um, but let's look at a few passages here in Scripture um, to support that uh, belief only will not do you good enough because you're going to have to do more than just believe. And I think James two is a great place to start out. Um, do one of y'all want to? You already have it, Alex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Through nineteen, right? Fourteen through nineteen. Yeah. Okay. What does it profit? Prof. Prof. Well, okay. <laughs> what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, "Depart in peace." Be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. I shall also probably mention... My version might be a little different from what others I'm reading from the New King James version. Just throwing that one out there. You know, we, we see in this passage that James says several times that unless your faith causes you to do something, it's worthless, right? You know, I think he really nails that home in verse 19 when he says, 
you know what the demons believe too. But guess what? Their their belief in God, they, they know that God exists. They know the power that God has. But their belief that God is real is not enough to save them. Why? Because they're not putting that into action, right? And, and you know, a lot of people who may accept this belief, you know, you know, all you have to do is accept Christ into your heart and, and believe in him and you'll be saved. They'll say, well, we still do works. We, st- we still have works. And good, right? Mm-hmm. Christianity is not supposed to be a, a, a something you just do on Sunday. It's, a, it's, a, it's not just something that you do. It's something that you are. Yeah. I mean, right? take, take a look at Jesus. How active was he for his whole entire life? Right. Even when right. he was a young boy, he was on the temple just oh, yeah. honestly kind of putting the temple teachers to shame there. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not quite that strong, but he was impressing them heavily. He impressed everyone else. His life mm-hmm. was ministry and glorifying God, right. his father. Right. And, but, but, yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, Christianity, like, like I said, it's not supposed to be something that you just kind of do. It's supposed to be a, a, a lifelong pursuit. Why? Because we're supposed to be Christ-like, like you mm-hmm. pointed out. And so they'll say, well, we have works, right? We have works and good. Right. And then something that they'll usually come back with is that, you know, they, they are emphasizing the idea that we cannot work ourselves into heaven. And I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Right. But when we take away from what God has said and that we have to do in order to be saved, then we're not we're not removing works. We're removing commandments. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest problem that I have with just belief only, mm-hmm. right? Because the, like, like we're going to talk about later in this episode, it's not just belief only. We see other things in the scriptures that we are commanded to do in order to receive salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, the passages that people who, who, you know, excuse me, one of the passages that people who uh, believe in this uh, accepting Christ into your heart doctrine, they go to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and I'm going to read a few verses there, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a point, and then I'm going to read the rest of the passage. All right. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you, uh, talking to the Christians at, at Ephesus, he, talking about Christ, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made alive together, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding reaches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and out of yourselves it is the gift of God. And so people, they like to stop there. They like to stop there and say, See, you've been saved by grace, not by faith. It, uh, or excuse me, you've been saved by grace, not by works. It's, it's God who offers us salvation. We can't work ourselves into heaven. 
And I agree with that. And I think that's what Paul is saying in this passage. But they don't sometimes finish the passage. And when they don't finish the passage, it's like reading half of a paragraph in a book and and saying that you know everything that happened. (laughs) Right? Or walking, you know, or starting a conversation with somebody and leaving halfway through. Right? You were missing the full point. Uh, So I ended in verse 8. Verse 9 says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they sometimes read that one as well. Verse 10 is the one that a lot of people sometimes forget to read, forget to include. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? What does it say? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is saying, there's nothing that you could do. You were dead to your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. But God gave us grace. God gave us mercy and he saved us through Christ. And I think it's important that we look at verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And as we talked about already, faith is not just something that we have. It should compel us to action. If our faith says, stand still and do nothing then unless we're talking about when we're letting God take control of our life, then we shouldn't be doing that. Our faith should spur us into action, right? I use the word spur, and you you think of spurs like like the things that are on the back of cowboys' boots. And what's the purpose of those? Well, when they're riding their horse, if they want the horse to move a little little bit faster, they'll poke their horse in the side of the the ribs with their spur. And that pushes the horse forward. It encourages them to go faster, that's what our faith should do. It should encourage, encourage us to go forward, to keep moving, to keep working. And so it's important for us to remember that, yes, we cannot work our salvation. We cannot work our way into heaven. We're not trying to save up enough money to buy a ticket to go to heaven. That's, that's not what we're doing. But we do still have works to do, including things that we have to do in order to be saved. Uh, I, I have another analogy, and I, I know I'm talking a lot, and I apologize, but I have another analogy that I like to use for this. Imagine that you are riding with Jesus on a boat through the ocean, and the boat hits a wave, and because you weren't paying attention, because you didn't grab onto the handrail like Jesus told you to, you flew off. You're now in the ocean, and whether or not you're a great swimmer, you're going to drown eventually, right? Because if you're in the middle of the ocean, there's no way that you can swim your way back to shore. So, Jesus, but Jesus is still in the boat. Jesus is still in the boat. And he can save you. He can throw out a life preserver. He doesn't have to. He could laugh at you and say, I told you to hang on. Why didn't you listen to me? It's your own fault. You're in the water. I'm going to let you stay there. But he doesn't do that. He does throw that life preserver, and, and, and when that life preserver gets to us, we have to grab onto it and continue to hold on until he's, we are pulled back to the boat. And that life preserver, when Jesus threw that, that was when he died, right? And that life preserver is the offer of salvation. Without him first extending that life preserver, quote-unquote, without him first dying on the cross, without him first giving us grace and mercy— we would be lost. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
We would have no hope unless Christ first went to the cross. But he did. The scriptures tell us that, and we have tons of historical evidence that you know, is not in the scriptures that talk about Jesus, that talk about his ministry, that talk about the fact that he died on the cross, just like the scriptures said. Mm-hmm. And so that life preserver has already been thrown to us. And when you take that life preserver in your hands, that's when you are accepting his offer of salvation. And we'll talk about how to do that here in a minute. So, but you, you have to grab onto that life preserver. You have to do what he has said. You have to, you, you, you can say, no, nah, Jesus, it's fine. I'll swim back. You can say, no, nah, Jesus, it's all right. I don't need your life preserver. You can say that. Yeah. It's not a wise choice, but you can say that. Right. Or you can grab onto that life preserver. But that life preserver is not going to do you a lick of good unless you continue to hold on to that life preserver until you're back on the boat, until you're back with Christ. Amen. You know, another adaptation to what we've been talking about um, with accepting Jesus into your heart, you may have heard that if you just say the sinner's prayer, you can be saved. And that's a common one uh, throughout uh, many denominations today. But it's important to realize that nowhere in Scripture is this found. Um, we see that Jesus modeled how we should pray, but he didn't say that this is the prayer that you should say in order to be saved. Um, and so in order to uh, go to Scripture to support this, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, here Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so we see here that, you know, we can cry out to Jesus and and pray to Jesus and, and ask him for these things. But ultimately, he's not going to know us unless we commit our lives to him. And we'll get into how to doing that later. Um, Matthew chapter 25 is another good place to go. Matthew 25, and we're going to, this will be a little lengthy reading, um, but we'll do our best to reach through it pretty quickly. Matthew 25, beginning at verse number 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink. And I went over uh, verse 36. But <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> we see oh. here that, uh, that Jesus is, um, Jesus, here we see them talking about the final judgment. And we see that on the day of judgment, we're going to be separated into two categories. And there's going to be one group that says, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the other group is not going to get that privilege. And so we want to make sure that we are, uh, doing the things that God has told us to do in order so we can hear the words like we read in Matthew 7 and verse 21, well done, thy good and faithful servant, instead of hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, and so 
that that's the whole sinner's prayer uh, type thing. Um, there, there's nothing in Scripture that really accommodates this idea of a sinner's prayer. But Jesus clearly says that, you know, just saying something is not going to get you into heaven. It's going to take more than just saying. It's going to take your faith and putting it into action. You know, it's interesting when we look at the example of Paul or Saul mm-hmm. uh, in Acts chapter 9. Of course, we know that uh, Saul is a Pharisee who is convinced that Christianity is wrong. And so he gets an edict from the Pharisees to chase down Christians who have fled to Damascus. And so he's on this road to Damascus, and then Jesus appears to him in a a blinding light and instructs him to go to Damascus, and and someone will be sent to him in order to uh, tell him what he has to do for salvation. Jesus says, you know, Saul, Christianity is the right thing to do, and I'm going to send you someone who's going to teach you about it. So then we see that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 9, uh, when they led him into Damascus, he was three days without sight, he was blinded, he neither ate nor drank. So he was fasting for three days. What do you think Paul was doing during those three days? He had just been visited by God. Now, at least in this passage, we're not told you know, explicitly what Paul's doing. But I'd say a fairly good assumption is that he's praying, right? I mean, if you think about fasting, a part of fasting as a spiritual discipline mm-hmm. is using time set aside where you would be eating or enjoying and stuff like that, mm-hmm. whatever the fast may be, to specifically spend time looking at God and looking at what he wants you to do and dwelling on it. So I think that's a very accurate assessment. And so if Paul was praying for three days, he had just seen Jesus, the man who he was persecuting, the God who he was persecuting. He was praying for three days, and guess what? He still wasn't saved. Right? We know that because of what we see uh, in this chapter and also in Acts chapter 26. Or excuse me, in Acts chapter 22, rather. Uh, when Paul is retelling his conversion story, he mentions that you know, he wasn't he wasn't saved yet, and we'll get to how he became saved in, in a moment. But the, the fact of the matter is, like you said, Walker, you can search the scriptures high and low. We're not going to find anything that says that prayer saves us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, as far as I remember, I've never talked to anyone about this. Uh, it would be really interesting to see what someone has to say. You know what, what they would, uh, you know what scriptures they would use to try and defend this. But you know the point of the matter is, as important as prayer is, right? That's not without question. Prayer is a very, very important thing in our Christian walk. We're never told that it forgives sins. We don't see that. Most definitely, yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not going to spend too much longer on this because I know we got to get moving on to the other points. But, you know, we're not saying here that you shouldn't pray at all because prayer is definitely something that we need to do. And we need to keep that communication line open with God. Simply, we're, all we're saying here is that prayer cannot save you. 
um, from the eternal punishment of hell. And so uh, prayer is something that uh, is great. It's great to communicate with God. It's great to go to, to him before his throne and talk to him and discuss things with him and um, whatnot. But it's not to be used as the quote-unquote lifeline like Isaiah was talking about earlier because uh, G- because that is found through putting your faith into action. And so this goes into uh, you know the idea that salvation has been sent to everyone. We in, in order to illustrate this idea, we see the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22 and also in Luke chapter 14. And here, uh, are we going to go in depth into these passages real quick? Um, okay, semi. All right, so I'm going to turn this over to Isaiah and Alex and let them break down these passages and bring out the main points that they want to bring out real quick, and then we'll continue um, on. I'll grab Luke 14. Right. So the parable of the wedding feast we see at the beginning of Matthew chapter 22. Uh, I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 14. Uh, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when a king came in to see the guest, he saw a man who, there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the friend was speechless. The king, then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus tells the story, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like, and that's a phrase that he uses a ton in these parables, he, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about salvation in a way that people can understand. So he's telling them the story. And he says, this king, you know, there's a wedding in this family and the king invites everybody. And we see that the king, you know, he invites these guests and these guests, you know, they persecute his servants. They laugh at him and they refuse to come. So what we, what we can understand from this parable is that the servants of the king are the prophets that God had sent to the people of Israel. He sent the prophets to them to warn about their, uh, the judgment coming of their sins, you know, especially prophets like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, uh, those, those kinds of prophets who foretold of the coming destruction to Israel. And they wouldn't listen. The, the people of Israel would not listen. They oftentimes killed these prophets. So God allowed them to be destroyed. God allowed them to be overtaken by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Egyptians, by the Philistines. Any nation who was around the Israelites, God would allow them to take over because Israel had rejected them as, his king, as their king. And then we see that 
the servants are sent out and they're, you know, they're, they're not sent looking for people with invitations. They're looking for people who are willing to come. So they bring in all these people from the highway, people who didn't deserve to be there, but they're here now. You know, anyone who was willing to come to this wedding, they were allowed to, but they couldn't just show up however they pleased, right? That one friend who was not wearing a wedding garment, what happened to him? He was bound hand and foot. He was cast into the outer darkness. Why? Because he wasn't prepared to be there. He hadn't taken the necessary steps that the king had required. That was necessary. So because of that, he lost his spot at the wedding. He lost his seat in heaven. Uh, this parable is also somewhat repeated in uh, Luke 14, uh, Luke fourteen fifteen through 24. Um, and so similar in certain areas that the general idea of it is the same. The idea of a in this case, a certain man who holds a great supper and goes and calls out to people and says, hey, look, I have this bread. It's ready, so come on, eat with me. And this is where it starts to differ a little bit. Because in Luke, it gives a a little bit of a description of some of the excuses they start to make. So... In Luke 14, we'll start in verse 18, and we'll be going through, uh, verse 20. All right, in verse 18 starts, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So, time and time again, these, at least some of them, are making these excuses. Um, which just don't really make sense. The first one saying, I, I bought a piece of ground, I have to go see it. Well... Who would buy a piece of ground without going to see it first? Mm. Unless you're like one of those, like, I don't know, flip house flippers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they necessarily had those <laughs> at that time. You would go see the land, make sure it was right for the needs that you needed that field or land for. And then you would buy it. It doesn't, it's not a valid excuse to say, Oh, well, I just bought I have to go see it now. No, you just don't want to go. And it's the same thing for the second one. The second one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. Why would you buy these animals that you plan on using in one way or another without testing them as well first or knowing that they're good? You're just saying, I have to go test them now. It's like, well, you already bought them. You can go test them after this feast. It's just yet another excuse. And final one says, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. Bring your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Simple enough. There you go. Just bring her. I mean, I I think it's as simple as that. I mean, 
I don't know necessarily customs and bringing a wife to a wedding feast or a great supper and you know I'm not as well versed in that one but nonetheless there's still these excuses that they make and so like it says in Matthew 22 it's just very similar um, it leaves out the last part about the one who wasn't prepared but it follows the same path of saying the master gets angry after a servant tells him all these things and then says, go get anyone you can find and bring them in. And so that's what kind of happens here. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of what we see with salvation, this, all right, here we are with this feast. I'm going to invite this group of people they're not coming? All right, let's go invite everyone else. We see that through the Bible. God made a covenant with Israel. When they didn't want that covenant, he sends Jesus to go tell everyone else that no one would think of ever inviting to something like this for salvation and says, you guys, come here. I'm extending this to you because they don't want it. Mm. And that's what this is. So, in God's definition and implementation of salvation, it's everyone who is going to accept it. We've already kind of covered this a little bit. But it's sent to everyone, and only those who accept it will be able to go to this feast as long as they are prepared to be at the feast. Paul makes an interesting point in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, He says... Therefore, I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is the good and acceptable. For this is good and acceptable on the side of God, our Savior. So you may be wondering, why in the world did you just read that passage, Isaiah? Well, it's because of verse four. I read those first three verses to give us the proper context for this verse. Uh, you know, Paul says it's a good thing to pray for everybody especially for those who are in positions of power because this is acceptable in the sight of God in verse 4 who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth so Paul's saying you know, pray for everybody because this is acceptable in the sight of God and God is the one who desires all men to be saved Right? there's not a person out there like Excuse me, that God doesn't love enough that he doesn't want them to be saved. But it's, it's that last part. We have to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's not just something that we can do that takes careful study, that takes preparation, that takes diligence. Mm-hmm. We've got to be able to dig into the word of God in order to, be, in order to receive that knowledge of the truth. In essence, we have to put on the garments appropriate for the wedding feast we've been invited to. Exactly. You know, there's something that, uh, there's a song that we uh, may or may not be based on the parable that we just read, but it says, but it's the song called All Things Are Ready, Come to the Feast. Uh, and it was, it was written by Charles Hutchison Gabriel and William Augustine Ogden. And, uh, and here, here are the lyrics. They say, all things are ready, come to the feast. Come for the table, now is spread. Ye famishing, ye weary, come, and thou shalt be richly fed. He says, all things are ready, come to the feast. 
Come, for the door is open wide. A place of honor is reserved for you at the master's side. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come while he waits to welcome thee. Delay not while this day is thine. Tomorrow may never be. Hear the invitation. Come, whosoever will. Praise God for full salvation for whosoever will. So the point of the psalm, it's saying the feast is ready. The door is open. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how long that opportunity is going to be on the table. Mm-hmm. Come to the feast. If you're hungry, go to the feast. If you're thirsty, go to the feast. If you're sick, go to the feast. If you're tired, go to the feast. If you're hurting, go to the feast. Because that's where God is. He waits to welcome thee. And they say, hear the invitation, whoever will. The offer is open to everyone. And I just think that's a really, really good way of emphasizing the fact that salvation is available to everyone. But how do we access that? Right? We've been kind of hinting at this and, and foreshadowing at this for the entire episode, but how do we do this? How do we obtain the gift that is salvation? Yeah, and so kind of when we think about like salvation, there is that process we kind of have to go through whenever well, for anyone who wants to be saved. Right. There's and steps. Even, yeah. And even like for the already existing Christians, there's still some things we still have to do from the, from like these steps mm-hmm. that we have to maintain, which we have to sum up in the final step, but we'll get there when we get there, I suppose. Right. So this first step that anyone has to go through is here. And this one's, I, I think this one's actually the easiest and, the simplest in some ways um thinking of hearing like um like you're hearing me now and people listening to this are also hearing me um a part of the hearing is hearing and then also a little bit more i think is listening making sure you're thinking about what you're hearing at the time and seriously giving it thought And so one of the primary verses that we'll often go to when we think of the step of here, when we talk about the plan of salvation, is Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in order to hear, you need the word of God. There's no way around it. You cannot do anything. You cannot cut corners. To get to salvation, you have to go through the word and thus through Jesus. It's just the way you have to go. You know, there's there's some people out there who hold to the idea, and it's a nice idea. Yeah. But they hold to the idea of God's going to save everyone because they look at the love of God. If only. Right. And and that, that's what God wants. That's what we want. But as we've already established, God is not only loving, but he's also righteous he's also just and as we've read from matthew chapter 7 he uh jesus says that i enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go by in it and so he's he's saying that you know the the path to salvation it starts with 
hearing. God's not going to save everyone because he's going to allow us to make that choice for ourselves. Do we want to be with God or do we want to be with Satan? And so the first step, as you mentioned, Alex, is is hearing. And, and something I just want to briefly uh, re-mention before we go on is that you know, the Bible does not necessarily have a one, two, three, four, five, six listed out in a passage. What we're doing is we, we're looking at what Scripture says, and we're looking at the different accounts we see of someone being saved, and we look at all the things that they had to do. So this isn't something that we see from, you know, one specific passage that lays it all out. This is, you know, like we mentioned earlier, we have to do a little bit of digging. We have to kind of put the pieces together. And so hearing, that's the first logical step in the equation. And then after hearing, we then have to believe. believe. Like Santa Claus. But not really. Not quite. <laughs> not quite that far. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's the same idea. Um, so you hear, you take it in, you contemplate it. After you've thought about it, then you come into the, I've thought about it. And after thinking about it, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, who died, was buried, and resurrected, and eventually ascended to heaven. And so that's where we come to this believe step. Um, could you read for us John chapter 8, verse 24? Of course. Let me just pull it up real quick. Yeah. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus says, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So what Jesus is saying there, and uh, he's speaking to the Jews, he's speaking to you know the, the Pharisees and, and things of that nature, and they're, they're trying to figure out what in the world, you know, who, who is this Jesus, right? And he says that if, that he says that they're going to die in their sins unless they believe that he is him. And of course, what he's meaning by that is that I am the son of God. And if you do not believe that, then there's no way that you can be saved from your sins. Something very interesting that um, I honestly didn't even think about until just now. Um, sorry, that buzz was my phone. <laughs> oh, well, it's fine. Um <laughs> Something very interesting is that when Jesus is saying that, unless you believe that I am he, those two words got him in a lot of trouble. I am. Referencing back to multiple different occasions in the Old Testament, but most notably Exodus 3, chapter 14, where when Moses was talking to God, God declares himself as the I am. If anyone declared this statement in Jewish culture, immediately, immediately blasphemy, heresy, you're getting stoned. This phrase got Jesus in a lot of trouble. But here he's saying, unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am since I've been here since beginning of time, unless you believe that I am the Son of God and I am God, this is going to happen. But, we, but of course, we see that belief is not the only thing. And we, we, we talked about this earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. But our faith 
in Christ, when we, when we recognize that he is who he says he is, that should spur us into action. And one of those actions is repenting of your sins. Now, what this means is that, you know, you recognize that you have been practicing sin. You recognize that you have been living a life of sin. And when you repent, that means you turn around completely. It means that you do a full 180 and that you stop practicing sin and you start to practice godliness. And so, Alex, if you would go ahead and read for us Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, please. Mm -hmm. Of course. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, you know, obviously verse, verses 3 and 5, they're very, very simple. Uh, confusion kind of comes in verse 4 where he's talking about those in Siloam who were killed by a tower. Uh, and from my study, what, what I understand of that passage is that Jesus is referencing a tower in Jerusalem that fell over and it unfortunately killed several people. And we see things like that happen in our society today, you know, car accidents, bridge collapse, you know, things like that that are very, very tragic. But unfortunately, they happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so Jesus, Jesus is, is bringing this story up because he's, he's asked, uh, well, let me, let me say this first in Jewish culture, especially if something bad happened to you, people considered it a curse from God because of your sins. Mm -hmm. Uh, we see this a lot in the story of Job, Oh boy. right? Chock full of it. Exactly. Because, of course, in that story, Satan is trying to break Job. He's doing everything in his power to get Job to deny God. And Job isn't. But all of his friends, all of his family that's left, all the ones that Satan hasn't taken, they're coming up to him and saying, well, there's, there's two options here, Job. Either God is an unjust God and he's just punishing you because he feels like it. Or... You've done something wrong and you deserve this. Those were the two only two options that they saw. And so Jesus is using that same kind of imagery, but from the opposite perspective. He, he's, he's saying, you know, were those men who were killed by the tower, were they worse people than everyone else? No, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But unless you repent of your sins, you will also perish. But he's not talking about a physical death there, Alex. He's talking about... Mm -hmm spiritual death something that i that stuck with me for a long time um i can't call him directly because i don't remember the quote directly <laughs> but there was a awesome teacher that we both had named lance Mosier, and i believe if i'm not mistaken the way he put repentance is a change in heart that leads to a change of action sounds right and it may not be entirely what he said, but nonetheless, that's exactly what it should be. Uh, our belief, based on what we have heard, should make us have a change in heart that leads to this change in action of us saying, I'm going to now deny sin and say, yes, I'm doing these things wrong. I've done this wrong. I'm currently in wrong. Therefore, I'm going to turn 
to the only one who can help me out in this situation. And so that's when I think we kind of start to get into this next step a little bit of confession. Right. Um, this one's a little bit different. Um, I always think there's about two parts of this. Um, partially the confession of sins um, and the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I think that's the one that most people think about. I think that's probably the one more focused on. The other one, there are confessions usually just more between you and God. And, and that also really ties into the idea of repentance as well. Yeah. So I guess I guess there's just really the one con- confess step of just saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read real quick from Matthew Matthew chapter 10. Yes. Matthew chapter 10. <laughs> Thank you for having that pulled up. <laughs> um, Therefore, whomever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you guys need to confess me. And if you do so, I'll do the same for my Father. Because as we learn in the book of Hebrews, Jesus has become our high priest, our mediator, our go-between between us and God. Jesus will vouch for us, but we have to vouch for him while we're here on earth. We can't do it any time in the future. Now is the best time to do it. And Jesus says, if you don't do it, not a, if you deny me, if you just don't do it, I think he might actually say deny uh, if you deny me. But part of that denial is not confessing him anyway. Mm-hmm. Not doing a good thing is still not doing the good thing. <laughs> it's still not right. If you deny Jesus while you're here on earth, or even just remain stagnant, he's not going to vouch for you. You're not vouching for him, so why will he vouch for you? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the idea of um, having one another's back. He has our back. We should have his back here as we go about teaching. And you know, the, the idea of here, believe, repent, confess, that's all leading towards something. Mm-hmm. That's all pointing us towards something. Because just hearing the word, believing the word, and repenting of your sins, right? We're supposed to do all of those things. We're commanded to do all of those things. But none of those say that we can be forgiven of our sins. When we repent of our sins, that's us saying, I'm not going to keep doing this. But that doesn't take away the sins that we've already committed. And we only see one thing in the scriptures that takes away sins. Mm -hmm. It's not accepting Jesus into your heart. It's not saying the sinner's prayer. It's baptism. Mm -hmm. And uh, next episode, so stay tuned next week, uh, we're going to bring Edison Boggess on to really, really talk about what baptism is and and how to be baptized, and th- those kinds of things. So if you have any questions about baptism, uh, you may, you may want to wait until that episode comes out, and then we'll, we'll hopefully answer that question, and then if we didn't answer it, you can contact us. But uh, the point is, baptism is essential, and we'll talk about that in, in the next episode as well. But Alex, why don't you go ahead and read for us Acts 2.38, please. All right. Then Peter said to them, them in this case being... Uh, Jews gather in Jerusalem for, I believe it was Pentecost. Pentecost. Repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So very much so, while in context is to the Jews, we still can draw application here today. This is the only way in the Bible that is allowed mm-hmm. for us to finalize the salvation of right. I am going to be saved. And I don't delve too much more into that, just like baseline. I don't know if you have too much else to add, but I think going into the details of what is baptism is probably something also for other times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Edison's episode is going to deal with a lot about that. So again, stay tuned. We'd love to have you listen to that one as well. But yeah. the idea that Alex and I are and, and Walker are trying to convey is that baptism is what God has commanded. We don't see anything else in the scriptures. You can search high and low, but this is the only time or excuse me, this is the only thing that we see that God specifically says this takes away sin. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into this with Edison, but it's not about, you know, the water. Mm-hmm. There's nothing special about the water. It's you humbling yourself and recognizing that God can forgive my sins, but only through baptism. Mm-hmm. But baptism isn't the last thing, right? That's how you wash yeah. away your sins. But like we talked about, we still fall short. Yeah. We're still going to have sin. Yeah. And so there's something else that we have to do after we get baptized. And that is remain faithful. Yeah. And this goes into the final, like, big push for today. Once saved, always saved is a phrase that could be heard. The idea of, all right, I'm baptized. I'm fine now. It's, it's fine. I can go out, live my life how I want to. Well, then what was that baptism and all that repentance for? Once saved, always saved. It's just simply not true. This is where remain faithful comes in. Making sure you're continuing to hear and dwell on the themes of the word. Being sure you're continuing to believe when you're doing wrong, when you're sitting, to continue to repent and continue to confess Jesus actively in your life. Baptism is a one-time thing, as we see from example. Everything else is just a continuous process of us growing our faith and pushing out. One of the one verse that we can take a look at is um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. I say, if you want to grab that one. Of course. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. In this, in this passage, Jesus is speaking to John the Apostle. And John is being tasked with writing to specific churches of this time. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing to a church in a town called Smyrna right now. And uh, the, the heading over this, this section is the persecuted church. Mm-hmm. And that really helps us understand what he's saying in the beginning of verse 10. Uh, So Revelation 2.10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. Here's the important part. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is if you are not faithful to me till the end of your life, 
I will not give you the crown of life. It's a conditioned gift, Mm -hmm. right? And we've talked about this on the show occasionally. It's the idea of it's a gift, but you have to do something to get it first. And in this case, you, the gift is the crown of life. The gift is heaven, but the condition is that you have to remain faithful. You know, you know, it's the whole idea of you can still stop following God after you've been saved. Mm-hmm. You can lose your salvation when you stop following God. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, and I don't plan on doing this, but it's a hypothetical situation. So yeah. please understand this. For instance, I, I have been baptized. I was baptized when I was 12 because I understood that I needed to repent of my sins, be washed anew and start following Christ. I understood that. I'm now 19. If for some reason I decided to stop following God, to go do whatever it is that I wanted to do, you know, start partying, start, you know, having uh, premarital sex, start, you know, getting involved with alcohol and other drugs like that. If I leave my salvation, God's going to respect that choice. He's going to be disappointed. He's going to be hurt that I left him. But he's going to allow me to make that choice. So we have to make the choice to stay faithful because we're not automatically saved once we're baptized. That is how we can be saved. We're not saved through any other way but baptism. But if we're just baptized and then we go do whatever we want, if we're not following God, then like you said, Alex, the baptism, all it was was a bath. Right. It, it serves no eternal purpose. And that's, of course, the purpose of baptism. It's for eternity. A, a verse that you really just kind of explain <laughs> um, from that was Luke chapter nine, verse 62, which says, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The idea of you can't look back and say, I miss this. I'm going to go back no. No, don't, don't even try it. We don't, talk- do not make a U-turn. <laughs> Keep going right down that path. Well, we make that U-turn when we repent, but we cannot yes. make a second U-turn. You can't make a noble. You have to right. make the initial U-turn and keep going. Right, right. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the idea of remembering those past sins. And we were talking about earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. the passing pleasures of sin. Right. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to give us that little spark of joy and say, oh, look how good that was. Didn't you enjoy that? Have some more. Yeah. But the reality of the matter is that's passing pleasure. It's false joy. The only joy that we'll ever really know is if we are in Christ, if we are with God in heaven. The One of the hardest things. No, the hardest thing about Christianity is letting go of the things that Satan has used to lure us away from God. Mm-hmm. Because Christianity is not easy, which is very unfortunate. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It's something that there are times where we're going to say, I missed the old lifestyle I had. And nonetheless, I'm going to keep pushing forward. Mm-hmm. There's, I remember multiple things that I've left behind that I desperately miss at times. But then I have to remember, no. God's more important than whatever I left behind. Even though that was good in the moment, eternally, 
that's not going to do me any good. Mm-hmm. So now I have to focus on these better things. Hebrews is a book all about saying better than Jesus mm-hmm. is better than this, better than that. Jesus is better than anything that we could ever hope or dream of. Mm-hmm. Even so, it's not going to be easy to no. take that first step. You know, one of the, one of those verses, uh, or at least the one one of them that came to my mind is Hebrews chapter twelve, verses one and two. Uh, we we talked about the hall of faith already in this in this episode, and right after Hebrews eleven, where we find the hall of faith, the Hebrew writer says this. Therefore, we also, since we are so sur- or since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. So the author here is saying, you know, we're got, we've got a long race ahead of us, right? We've got a marathon ahead of us to get to heaven when we are Christians, right? Once we have been baptized, we have to continue to remain faithful. And that's hard. That's difficult. That takes endurance. And Satan is going to try and trip us up. He's going to s- s- slow us down. He's going to try and snare us. We have to shake those off. Shake off the passing pleasures of sin that we used to enjoy. And keep our sight focused on the joy that we will have with God in heaven. Alex, we thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had some great thoughts. And we really appreciate you and your efforts in the, in the Lord's work. Uh, and we really appreciate you guys, the listeners. We're so thankful to have you as an audience. You guys have been nothing but encouraging and supportive to us. And we so, we're so thankful for that. Amen. Uh, if there's been anything that we've said in this episode or a different episode that you may not have understood, we would love to sit down and talk with you about that. If you just want to talk to us, we would be happy to talk to you. Uh, we have a Facebook through the eyes of Jesus. You can uh, message us there. We have an Instagram, TTEOJ underscore podcast, and we have a website, TTEOJ.com. You can contact us through any of those, uh, any of those social media platforms. Uh, we're working on a few other things right now, and when those are up and running, we'll let you know, and those will have more ways to get in contact with us. We want to sit down with you. We want to help you, and we want to encourage you to grow closer to God. And again, we thank you so much for your uh, your patience with us. This was one of our longer episodes, if not the longest episode we've recorded. But it was a it was a very very important subject. And so uh, again, Alex, we're thankful for all your input, and we're thankful for you, the audience. And if there's nothing else further, Alex, will you close this out in prayer? I can do that. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your power and your might. And we thank you so much, most importantly, for your love. A love that is so great that we can't fathom it. And a love so great that it sent Jesus down to this earth. Lord, we thank you for the example that Jesus set for us here. The path that he has paved for us that leads to you. And Lord, we know that In the end, he had to die so that he could finally pave that road. 
But we thank you so much for the blood that was spilt that can wash us of our sins. We thank you so much, Lord, for a sacrifice. And we thank you so much, so, so much that he is now alive again, that he was resurrected and now sits as our high priest and mediator. We know that we are not perfect, Lord. We stray from the path that Jesus has left for us time and time again, and that's hard to be a Christian. Even so, you've given us so many chances to follow you, to get back on the path. We pray, Lord, that you help us all to get on the path that leads to salvation. Help us understand that we have to follow your way of salvation, that we can't follow any other way, but that your way is so great, Lord, and offers us the greatest reward we could ever possibly hope for. Help us to understand just how great that gift is, Lord, even though we cannot fully grasp the weight of it. We thank you so much for all that you've done and for all that you will continue to do, Lord. Please help us to continue to live for you and to continue to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. Please forgive us our sins, Lord, and please bless us all as we go about the rest of our days. In the name of Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a great day. We'll see you next time.